Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Good morning. Radio. Good morning. Welcome to NJSBA's podcast program, uh, Conversation on New Jersey Education, a uh, program designed to give you uh, a chance to listen and communicate with uh, state educational leaders. Uh, if you want to participate in the program, you can dial uh, 1-347-989-8905. Uh, and just press 1, and that will let Mike, who's monitoring our uh, switchboard, know that you have a question and uh, get the question on to me Um so that I know what the topic is. Or you could just log into our chat room. Uh, with uh, You have to register with Blog Talk Radio, but there's no uh, fee to do that. And you can just type in your question in there, and I'll pass it on to our guests. Um, today, I'm looking forward to this conversation I'm going to have. Uh, we're going to be talking with representatives from the NJSIAA, New Jersey State Interscholastic Athletic Association. Uh, you know, uh, Nothing probably is more integral to our high school than our sports programs. Uh, they generate a lot of interest among the community. Uh, so with me is uh, Larry White, who's the executive director of the NJSIAA. Welcome, Larry. Welcome, Ray. Thank you for having me on. Okay. And also with us is uh, Steve Schofi. Steve is a school board member and vice president for the NJSIAA. Welcome, Steve. Hi, Ray. Thanks for having us on today. No, my pleasure. Okay, um, a lot of times we've heard of the NJSIA, uh, but uh, Larry, what is the 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 what what's the mission of uh, NJSIA? Well, we have about ten statements in our constitution and bylaws um, that adhere to the the mission of NJSIA. Um, very quickly, without really focusing on any one, but uh, our number one mission is a safe and healthy playing environment is essential to our mission participation in our interscholastic athletics embraces the educational experience of all students interscholastic athletics is a privilege excellence in both academics and athletics is pursued by all rules promote fair play and minimize risk cooperation among member advances their individual and collective well-being properly trained officials, judges, enhance interscholastic competition, and NJSIA is the recognized state authority in interscholastic athletic programs. I I didn't go all through all ten, but I think that will give the audience a little bit of an idea of what we're all about. Uh, And who makes up NJSIA? You know, who are its members and, uh, and how is it governed? Well, the 433 public, parochial, and private high schools really make up the NJSIAA, and the association is governed by a 49-member executive committee that is comprised of superintendents, principals, athletic directors, and other major stakeholders that represent other constituencies in the educational fields. At this point, I, Steve, if you want to jump in, and you know, you can give maybe a little bit uh, more 
in depth into that uh, question because uh, you are one of those that make up our board, and uh, you can tell from where you came from. Right, I'm I'm the uh, I'm one of the New Jersey School Board Association representatives, the uh, executive committee of the NJSIAA, uh, and as Larry said, it's a committee of about 49 or 50 people, individuals who who are various stakeholders in high school athletics in New Jersey, coming from a wide wide range of perspectives. Uh, you have you have athletic directors on there. You have, of course, a lot of former coaches. You have school administrators like principals and superintendents. Then you have people like me that are coming from uh, maybe a board of ed, uh, board of education position, or other uh, or other positions uh, involved in in uh, secondary education uh, that have some background and some knowledge uh, of uh, high school athletics. And it's a large group, but it's a very very well functioning group. And um, you know a lot of different a lot of different uh, points of view and a lot of knowledge, a lot of combined knowledge. Uh, is evident every every time we get together, which is about once a month. Okay, and it, just all the sports programs and all the high schools—that's a lot of events that go on through the course of the year. Um, but let's talk about even having your organization have to monitor all these sports. What's the importance of athletics that that you feel in our uh, education environment? Well. I can tell you and everyone that's listening, um, athletics has been a part of my life since I was seven years old. I grew up in a small South Jersey town of Penns Grove, New Jersey, and at age seven, we played farm league uh, baseball. Um, no names on our shirts. Uh, just I remember being on the Purple People Eaters team with purple shirts and purple hats. But, I mean, from there, I went on to um, to play four years of high school athletics, um, four years of college baseball, and three years of uh, sub-basketball, sub-varsity basketball at LaSalle College. Um, and then I turned into teaching, coaching, officiating. And, I mean, I look back on it and say it all prepared me for this particular position that I have today uh, after 12 years of being an assistant uh, director here at NJSI, I was fortunate enough to uh, to be given the the head position as executive director last year. Steve, any comment on the importance? Yeah, of Yeah, because you were a teacher I, too. Right, I was. Uh, I taught and coached. Well, I taught for 38 years. I coached for 25, um, and now I'm on the uh, I'm teaching at Kane University. But the importance of athletics in public education, I don't think, can be it can't be overstated. Um, a properly run athletics program it's 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 a vital part uh, of a comprehensive educational program it should be an extension of the classroom um larry will probably remember ernie finizio who who was the uh superintendent at roselle park and then later was an assistant director at the njsia and ernie always used to talk about the three a's uh academics athletics and the arts and how they were all vitally important uh, in, in a comprehensive educational program um, I think athletics enables kids to experience learning situations that can't be duplicated in the classroom. Um, and for some kids, for me also, it, this this, uh, this proved true, it, it provides a pathway to higher education. And I'm not just talking about D1 athletes. Uh, I'm not talking about elite athletes going to big-time programs. For a lot of kids, athletics is the pathway to higher education, um, as it was for me. And, and 
I had a remarkably mediocre football career at Kane University, but <laughs> but it uh, but it paved the way for me to go there. So and and really, athletics I think oftentimes is a catalyst for uh, overall school pride and school spirit. So I think it's I think it's really important. And Steve, and you're, will, you're I, absolutely Steve, you're absolutely ahead, right. I mean, and the other thing though, it, it's you know it teaches you those those core values like perseverance and and diligence uh teamwork you know sacrifice for the for the common good for for the team and not just for individual honors and things like that i mean that that's that was so tremendously important growing up then that you started to realize you had to work together you know, right. no one person was bigger than the team exactly uh okay let's go on to some of the issues uh that I I I think most people would agree with you. Uh, I agree with you because it, I had an equally mediocre football career uh, as Steve. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, that being said, there you know, managing all the sports programs must be tough. Uh, I I've heard I know recently we we just had a, a little ruling on this. Uh, I'm an athlete in the school district. We don't have enough kids to field, say, a football team because that takes a lot of kids. What are the options that the school has and or the student? Well, NJSIA, um, for the many years that I was here as an assistant uh, director, you know, we have a system where schools that have declining population in a specific sport has the opportunity to co-op or cooperative sports programs with another school that's you know, somewhat in the same situation, their numbers are okay, but uh, probably need a little help. So, we've um, we've actually expanded that uh, this past year uh, by allowing even all of our sports to for schools to co-op in. Before we had about four or five sports that we did not allow, um, but we've since changed that. We've had a committee that sat uh, about three or four times. So now we've expanded the co-op. It's, uh, I think it's a great thing because now we really should see, uh, hopefully the schools take advantage of it. And um, as far as the students, our basic rule is that you play the sport at the school in which you're enrolled. I mean, that's that's kind of fundamental. But, um, but we also realize that there are Votech schools, magnet schools, uh, charter schools that may not have sports programs or not have the sport program that, say, Larry White wants to, to compete. And we do allow, with the principal's uh, agreement from both schools, that that student athlete could come from the Votech school and come back and play at the uh, home school. Um, and our membership has you know, said that that's a great thing. And I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and I think the also, uh, if I may, I just Keep I going. just want to I'll ask Larry this question because I, I think I think we uh, I'd have to defer to you on this, Larry. But if, if if a school doesn't have a particular sport, say track and field or or diving, uh, swimming with a you know diving team, and an individual student uh, wanted to participate uh, on the state level. Um, even though his school doesn't have a team, he can. I, I believe there's been times where we've let people enter as individuals, right? As long as they've been yes. accompanied by, yeah, 
they'd have the, to be accompanied by a, a staff member. It depends on that sport as mm-hmm. to whether or not there is an individual component to the state tournament. Bowling is a sport where, obviously, we have team bowling, but if I go to a school that doesn't have a bowling team, I can still then compete in the individual championships that we run uh, pretty much alongside our team championships. We have girls team bowling uh, championships. We have boys and then from that, we then take our maybe 50 top highest average bowlers, and that may be a student athlete that doesn't have the, a team sport, but because he or she bowls in a youth league, uh, they have to get a certain average um, with so many games played. And if they do, then they can come in and qualify. I actually believe that two years ago, the state champion boys bowler was from a school that didn't have the program, but he was just a phenomenal bowler. Right. Wow. Okay. So that would be for individual sports like in track and field where you have the, uh, you know, hurdles and uh, pole vaulting and all those others where there's an individual, not a team sport, obviously. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Sports where there's, where there's an individual component to, to the sport. Um, You know, it could be a track and field, team championship as well but then there's individual uh tournaments that are run alongside in certain sports so those are the sports that that uh, would be applicable to, to a situation like this but i think the bottom line is that you know we try to make we try to make opportunities available to student athletes uh in, in as many ways as we can okay oh uh, and in a totally different uh maybe some of the biggest things is the championships in each group and in each section of the state uh, and I've heard concerns about sometimes the fees that are charged, particularly for football uh, and wrestling. How do you arrive at the fees for a tournament event? Um, well, let's talk about what tournaments you're you're referring to, Ray. Uh, county or conference tournaments or the NJSI state, state yeah. tournaments? The state? state tournaments, yeah. The fees that we come up with first we have to submit our request for the fees to the department of education um several years ago there was a law passed that now says we have to run our our fees by the department uh there's a formula that we have to adhere to i mean you know lately we've seen a lot of stuff about these um private showcase tournaments that are you know sponsored by, you know, individuals or corporations, and, you know, some of their figures are outlandish, uh, at least if you ask me. Um, County and conference tournaments, they're set by the county and conference, and for the most part, uh, adult fees are $10, $15, which, you know, we tend to think that's probably reasonable. Um, However, our, for the most part, our fees are, are less than that, and it uh it's one of the way that we generate revenue and right now it's um situation where you know bad weather conditions for football uh can certainly affect uh, our revenue stream okay um uh, now in recent years and this is at the pro level and college level we've had a lot of uh concern about the health and safety of our student athletes 
uh, or athletes in general. And I know this has been an issue for uh, your association. Let's take a look at a, a few of them. Uh, first of all, let's go to concussions because I think that's been in the news so so often. Um, is there any? And I know you recently did a ruling on the amount of practice time for football. So, how are you addressing the issue of concussions uh, as an association? Well, going back to, I believe the years 2010, uh, we were the one of the first states, if not the first state, to really come up with a comprehensive concussion. Uh, policy uh, and a concussion return to play policy, we attacked it from the idea that the officials being right there on the field, on the court, that they needed to be trained so that they could detect the signs, symptoms, and behaviors consistent with a concussion. Because, like I said, they're first responders. Right there, kid gets tackled officials right there looks into the kid's eyes and can just tell you know whatever so we instituted the policy that they would then beckon call timeout beckon the athletic trainer coaches out to the things and say coach this young man he's exhibited the signs symptoms um, consistent with a concussion they would remove him and then we devised a return to play uh, form that would have to be signed off by a MD or a DO and only the signature of one of those professionals would allow that student to return to play that game or that practice right then. If they didn't return, then they have to go through the lengthier program, some use impact, some use other ones before they could be cleared to come back and participate. And that was, like I said, that was pretty much groundbreaking at that time. Uh, We had great support in the uh, state legislature, uh, and I was the point person because I was in charge of the officials. And as I go around the state, we made sure that the officials had to take this course every year or else they would not be able to officiate. And I was very, very pleased to say I never received one of those return-to-play forms signed by a doctor in the years that we've been doing this. And even now as the executive director, I'm I'm not aware of us ever getting a form. Wow. And so did you um and when you said DO, what's the DO as a uh doc I guess doctor of osteopathic medicine. Okay. I mean Right, in in the concussion just, policy in the in the uh, NJSIA concussion policy, uh it's written right in only a physician trained in the evaluation management of concussions uh can sign off on a written clearance uh that would allow a concussed player or a, suspe- a suspected concussed player to return to play. Right. So um yeah, I think I think the NJSIA is is real diligent in this area, uh, as it is in many other areas in in terms of player safety. Did you have to also do some training for the coaches on this besides the officials? Yes, uh, after a couple years after the officials were required to to take this course or to take a course because there are different ones. The NFHS, the National Federation of High Schools, the the parent group of all the state associations 
you know, they had a course, but the uh, Center for Disease Control down in Atlanta, they have a course. We accept any of those courses. We we mandated that the coaches had to take a concussion course, and that's also they have to to do that every year. And uh, when you is this for all sports or just the contact sports like uh, well? Nope, all uh, sports. All sports. All sports. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because you don't think about it. I mean, maybe being a um, you know a sport where there's you know contact or anything like this, but you know volleyball, girls volleyball. Uh, I've seen somebody kill. You know, using that term meaning like you know to spike the ball. Hits a girl right. in the face and just you know, athletic trainers right there. Oh, come on, got to go out. Doesn't return. Okay. So, all right. We That's once great. we uh, once had a uh, we once had a concussion injury. Believe it or not, uh, at Johnson Regional when I was teaching back there, uh, we once had a concussion injury occur in, in girls tennis. Believe it or not. So it's rare, but it but it, it can happen. Yeah. And so it's more than just football. That's right. Yeah. Well, I guess you could also fall and hit your head, so that's mm-hmm. common. Um, let's look at another issue is um, steroids. Is there anything that you do in that area? I know you probably uh, – because that's sometimes an issue with uh, athletics. Back around the same time as the concussion, maybe a little bit before that, though um, – New Jersey, NJSI was the first state, and as right now, I believe we're still the only state that does random steroid testing. Um, it's random in the sense that teams that make the state tournament can be randomly chosen to go through our steroid testing program uh, for years, the agency that we worked with was called Drug Free Sports, located out in Kansas, and I believe their lab was out in uh, L.A. Uh, or out in California. Um, we still do it. Uh, we test roughly 500 student-athletes over the fall, winter, and spring sports. Uh, it's random as for the teams. And then once a school is chosen, and let's just say they're going to randomly test the football team. The school must send in a copy of their rosters, um, freshmen through um, seniors, and then that roster is randomized um, by number, and then they will just say, okay, the number two kid on the roster, the number six kid on the roster, so forth and so on. And they may test, you know, eight students um, from that school, and usually maybe six or seven or eight schools will be tested. But So we've been doing that, and um, we still continue to do it. Uh, thank, thankfully, the state um, legislature, they, they allocate us $50,000 uh, to do it, and we, um, we also put in 50000 So for that $100,000, we get about 500 students that we will randomly test. And uh, the other uh, issue that has been come up, in, particularly in uh, recent years, is opioids, you know, the painkillers after an injury or something to that effect. Is there anything that you try to do in that area in terms of training coaches or anything? Um, 
not sure that we do a lot in training the coaches, but we have just signed a, an agreement with the Attorney General's Office of New Jersey through their NJ Cares um, division, and uh, we are working together to um, create some video uh, that we will then have the student-athlete and the parents um, view and sign off on. We're looking to roll that out uh, in time for this coming fall's uh, season, and then we will make sure that uh, they have to do it for all of the, the sports that they play. And, uh, you know, just to get the word out that, uh, yeah, it's, you know, back in the day when, you know, came off the field and you were hurting and coaches would kind of use that old cliche about sucking it up and, you know, get back out there well. You know, we're starting to realize now that it may not be the best way to handle this. And, you know, these opioids, uh, yeah, that's um, the painkillers. Uh, it, it, it's really uh, it's horrible. Um, so we're, um, you know, we're, we're on the forefront of that movement also. Um, Steve, you have anything oh, that you uh, want to add? Yeah, I would just, I would just say that um, in addition to what you've talked about with the steroid testing policy and the opioid video, and uh, we have – we have a lot of subcommittees on, on the uh, NJSIAA, and one of them is, is a committee called the Medical Advisory Committee. And I believe uh, that's made up of doctors and, and uh, sports medicine people and athletic trainers. And, and we get a lot of recommendations uh, through them in terms of uh, player safety and, and keeping uh, athletes you know, medically uh, healthy. Um, and in addition to the things that Larry's talked about already, I mean, we have other other initiatives as well. We, we're just uh, in the process of, we just had a first reading on a newly adopted heat participation policy. Uh, that's going to hopefully keep the kids safer in terms of really hot weather. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, Ray, about the uh, restrictions that we've recently enacted in, in uh, or in the process of enacting in terms of uh, live contact and football practice. Uh, we have hydration testing in re uh, for wrestlers so that we don't have kids cutting weight uh, in an unhealthy way. Um, actually, we're moving to a more advanced technology in that area with, with an ultrasound uh, scan. Uh, so there's, we have anti-hazing anti resources that are available to coaches and, and athletes. So there's a, there's a whole uh, vast array of ways in which uh, we're looking to keep kids safe and keep kids healthy and make you know, high school athletics—a a positive uh, experience for everybody with uh, limited limited injury and limited uh, illness. No, that, and uh, before we go on, I just want to—if anyone's listening—you uh, can dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one, and uh, Michael uh, will get your topic, and I'll pass it on to the, our guests. Uh, we're talking to Larry White and Steve Schofi from the NJSIAA, or you can just type it in the chat room. Um, one other thing, I, uh, you, uh, you sparked a little interest, Steve. So you have these subcommittees. So I guess some, particularly in the medical field where we get new information all the time, this is something that's an ongoing process to look at every year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean – as long as I've been here, and I probably believe that um, the Medical Advisory Committee has been part of NJSIA as one of the subcommittees, as Steve said, uh, of the Executive Committee and everything, they've probably been 
20, 25, maybe even 30 years or so. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a committee that's been formed, and we meet uh, in the fall, winter, and spring. And uh, we look at a myriad of different, you know, medical topics. And that group also puts on workshops for, you know, whether it's athletic trainers, maybe coaches, maybe just anybody that wants to, you know, sit in. Uh, so it, it's a very active body, uh, and we have some of the top, um, some of the top doctors, especially our orthopedic people, are just, you know, top notch, um, and they uh, they do a fantastic job of uh, making sure that we are consistently on the forefront of, you know, anything to make sure our student athletes are healthy and uh, and safe. Um, you know, we start, started this conversation, we talked about the importance of athletics. Uh, and to the student, uh, to a lot of students I know for me, uh, sometimes that relationship with your coach is one of the most important relationships you'll have in the school. Um, you know, you, years later, I see my coach and I still call him coach. Uh, uh, so but do you do any training and how do you work with the the coaches, depending on in all the sports. Well, we have um, most of our sports. There are separate coaches associations. Right? Then we have the NJFCA, which is the New Jersey Football Coaches Association. We have the Wrestling Association, and for the most part, as I said, many of our sports have their own bodies that you know they meet, discuss, whatever. We also, though, have our coaches association, and one of the big things that we do is to set up programs for them to take courses, such as the Fundamentals of Coaching, which the NFHS, the group that I've mentioned prior to this, you know, has developed huge amounts of coaching uh, courses, uh, officiating courses, you name it, it's out there. And as I said, we've kind of said you, especially as a new coach, you have to take this fundamental of coaching course through the NFHS. We have former ADs that teach the course. We also have required them that they have to take CPR, AED, and first aid, um, so that because there's oftentimes – you know, they may not have the trainer because they're going, they're at an off-site facility, off-site meaning not at the school. So they, in turn, have to know how to use an AED, um, perform CPR. And, and it's those things that, you know, we have regulated um, to make sure that our coaches are, you know, prepared if there's an emergency. Right, and... Uh... You know, also in addition, like Mr. White had previously stated, uh, the concussion awareness training, that happens every year. Um, there's a heat acclimatization awareness uh, and wellness uh, training that happens every year. All coaches must take it. Um, in addition to that, though, there, NJSIA has for a long time, for years and years, has sponsored uh, clinics in individual sports uh, for coaches to just get better at, at coaching the fundamentals and coaching the strategies of their of their individual sports, uh, and these clinics are held, you know, 
all around the state uh, on on a pretty much on a regular basis. Um, and there's a host of coaching, coaching courses that are offered by the National Federation of High Schools that are accessed, uh, you know, through their website, uh, online courses. Um, I I've, have attended quite a few of the NJSIAA clinics and um, over the years and always walk away from them thinking that they were extremely worthwhile and that I gained uh, a lot of information and it was helpful, helpful in my coaching career for sure. Okay, and, and sometimes you get people who are new to coaching when they, you know their first job may be as a teacher, and they have some experience, but they may not have the complete experience right. as a coach. So it's probably pretty helpful. It is absolutely. Um, and uh, Larry, I think you mentioned before you worked with the officials. Uh, so you there's a partnership with the training of officials too, uh, from the with the association. Yes. Uh, most definitely, there um, there's roughly ninety some what we call chapters uh, of the officials association. Uh, that's ninety some for all of our sports, um, and that number I think surpasses about ten thousand officials. Uh, so, one of the major roles that I, I had was that for the fall sports, we would go around to the state. Usually about six or seven different high schools would allow us to hold our preseason uh, officiating meetings uh, for, you know, soccer, football, volleyball, and even wrestling and going around for that one in the winter and basketball. So we'd go around, go over the new rules, but also go over the NJSIA rules in terms of sportsmanship policies. I know several years ago we rolled out our sportsmanship policy that basically we said we were not going to tolerate the trash talking and and the language that's used and everything. And, um, you know, I actually spoke at a uh, national convention. A lot of the people there were saying, yeah, well, dream on type thing. And, you know, but I've also said that after 30 years in the classroom with high school student athletes and, and high school students, period, they're the best, that's the best age. And, you know, for several years, we would have no disqualifications because of the trash talking and everything. And, you know, when we, we reported that back out. And, you know, I think people kind of went like, wow. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, I think if you, if, if you, you know, set the bar at three feet, people come up to the bar. If you set it at six, they'll come up to the bar. Here's a case where I think our student-athletes really came up to the bar and we set it high. So. Hmm. And uh, probably the other point person for you, particularly at the high school, and probably, uh, and Steve, I'll ask you to also comment on this, is uh, the role of the athletic director. It's one of the administrative positions that probably uh, – Creates the most gray hairs. Um, so, uh, That's a good way to put it. The, <laughs> no, but they're managing, and uh, you're managing a state, and I was like flabbergasted when you said the 10,000 officials that we have uh, in all the sports. But um, there's a, you know, in a high school, there's a lot of sports going on. What do you see as the role of the athletic director, and how does the association, if possible, try to help them? 
Well, you want Larry to take this, or, or well, Steve, Larry, why don't you, why don't you comment? Well, okay. All right. Okay. okay, you take it first this time. Okay. <laughs> All right, my turn. Uh, the athletic director, you know, basically the athletic director working with the district and the building administration uh, is tasked with overseeing a meaningful and comprehensive athletic program that serves the district, serves the students of the district. It's a difficult job because there's, there's so many balls to juggle, staffing, officials, busing, eligibility, student-athlete issues, parent issues, what have you. Uh, so there's a lot going on. I, I did the job for a short time, for about two years. It's a very high-profile job, uh, but it can be a very, very rewarding job. There is oftentimes no rest for the weary. Uh, what I found in my experience of doing it was, because I, I was an inexperienced athletic director, um, I, I relied on the NJSIA quite a bit. I would phone down there often, several times a week, uh, just to make sure that I was doing the right thing, that I was covering uh, my bases the way I needed to be covered, and that I was on top of things. And for an inexperienced uh, athletic director like myself, uh, the NJSIA, being able to pick up a phone and call down there was, was invaluable to me. Now, one of the things that the NJSIA has done recently um, to aid new athletic directors is they've begun a mentorship program. Uh, where anybody that's a new athletic director is mentored by an experienced athletic director. Uh, it's a mandatory program, but it's been really, really helpful, I think, in the area of, uh, of developing athletic directors because it is, it is a very, very consuming job, uh, athletic director, and it's very high profile. And, Steve, let me add to that that one of the reasons that it has, I think, even grown more so in the past – 15, 20 years than it was when I went, and I won't say how long ago, um, <laughs> is because it's not just an athletic director's position anymore. It right. also may be that they're the athletic director in charge of activities uh, and whatever as a, as and a vice principal. Could be, could be discipline, could be, a, could could be, be an athletic director slash assistant principal. Uh, so the yep. jobs, jobs get just increasingly more demanding. Right. I mean, so... You know, whereas in the past, a lot of times, you know, with an athletic director's job, they would might get in around noontime or something like this. Now, many of these athletic directors, they're getting in at 730 in the morning because they have to make sure that the bus is there for for the debate team to, to get, you know, to where they're going and so forth and so on. And it really is a 365-day, 24-7 uh, job. I mean, and I think what we're seen somewhat though is it's a little bit of burnout um mm -hmm. we also see that uh some of the younger uh men and women they get into it for the athletic director's position but within about six ten years they're then looking to go up that you know um that ladder to become a principal and then maybe a superintendent and and so forth and so on so we are seeing a kind of a a turnover there um and plus, we're just seeing a lot of the um, guys that have been doing it for 25, 30 years. It's like, hey, guess what? It's time to go. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, we do a lot of training yep. with our athletic directors, especially when it comes to the eligibility rules of NJSI, because that's one of the areas where when I was doing those, those uh, workshops and everything, I would always say it's better for us, to, <laughs> better for, for them to call us than for us to call them. Right. And, uh, Steve, and maybe you can talk as a board member because uh, I don't know if a lot of board members know the 
I mean, they may they may know it, but they may not really take it to heart. The hours that a, a, probably an athletic director puts in in terms because all the events are after school, uh, all right, weekends, yeah. and so well, it's Larry, probably Larry, one of Larry, the, Larry was alluding to that uh, that you know what a, what a demanding job it is. I mean, it's not uncommon, uh, and I certainly when I was coaching worked for worked for people. Uh, Lou Paragallo being one uh, that I could say this is very true of. He would be in, like Larry said, 7.30 in the morning. And oftentimes he's not leaving to go home until 9 or 9.30 at night after the, after the basketball game's done and the bleachers have been pushed in and, and the lights are getting turned out. Um, you know, it, it, that, was a, that was a normal day um, for him and for many athletic directors. It's a, it's a very, very demanding job but it's a job that that people tend to really love i mean if you have a passion for high school athletics uh you know it's it's something that you want to you want to be involved in you want to be around um and in the case of lou paragallo he was he was the athletic director at johnson for over 35 years and and put in days like that more often than not um so you know it's 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 a demanding job, but it's a very it can be a very rewarding job as well, an extremely rewarding job. Yeah, right. And, and I just uh, now with the you go ahead, Larry. I was just going to add a little story. I remember one of the um, gentlemen that I was teaching and coaching with towards the end of my teaching and coaching career before I got my master's and became a, an administrator and then started working here. But he um, he got his his uh, degree so that he'd become an athletic director. We stayed in touch and we would often play each other in terms of where he was now as the AD and where I was still teaching and coaching. And it was funny because over the years, you know, he was really at first, he was really into like, you know, winning, you know, (laughs) it was like, Oh, you know, what team I could see him like going through, like he was still coaching. 15 years later, you know, I bump into him. How's it going? And basically he said, you know what, now? He says, I just make sure that everything runs perfectly. There's no problems. There's no nothing. Sure, we still like to win, but if we don't, it's not the end of the world. It's just you get to that point where it's like, let's just make sure everything goes according to Hoyle and then get up and do it again the next day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. and one of the last issues, um, you know, we've been talking kind of positively, but there are compliance issues, eligibility issues, uh, where people maybe uh, don't call you first. Uh, how do you handle those compliance issues? Well, I mean, the first thing is, as you said, they, they don't call us first. And oftentimes, you know, we have to make a call because we've become aware of a situation um it could be because it's reported in the newspaper or, I mean, the past several years uh, anymore, we, we get so many anonymous contacts. Uh, it's, you know, it's it sometimes it just gets to the point where it's like, oh, my goodness, I mean, you know. But when we get it and we call the principal and the athletic director, for the most part, tell them that we've heard of a situation, we ask them to investigate, pretty much be timely in that investigation and um, and then send that uh, written investigation into us. And then, generally speaking, we have five um, assistant directors. Each one has two, three, maybe four sports they're, they're, they oversee. And in that particular 
situation, if it's, say, a football situation, then it would go to the director that's in charge of football. We do a thorough investigation. We may have to have a hearing through our controversies committee come in uh, and decide. And, you know, there may be some punishment that we have to, to put on the school uh, Oftentimes we'll ask for a corrective action plan, a CAP, uh, so that to make sure that they don't uh, fall down that uh, that wrong path. Again, with our student-athletes, we have an eligibility appeals committee in terms of sometimes when maybe somebody has played an eligible student. But, you know, it's all carried out through the Constitution and bylaws of the NJSIA. And one of the big things that, you know, we'd like to, you know, I think it's important for people to understand is that the directors here, we don't make the rules. The the schools actually are the people that make the rules. When they, you know, voted 300-something to, to four the last December, when we had about eight different proposals in to change our co-op program, that was the membership speaking. That wasn't Larry White, executive director, or stuff like that. So I think people sometimes don't understand that. It's like, oh, you're the executive director. You can do whatever. It's like, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah, I would echo that. I would say that, uh, you know, uh, recently, um, you know, with the restricted uh, contact rules in football that, that are in the process of being adop- adapted, there was a lot of play in the press about that. Um, and really, you know, that that was initiated by the by the, the football coaches themselves. Uh, this was, you know, the NJSIA. At at times, it's a top down thing because some things come through to us from the national federation that we have to pass down to the schools. But more often than not, it's it's a it's a bottom up thing. It's it's uh, initiatives are being originated, and they're getting their start uh, among the coaches and and from the schools themselves. And they find their way. They make their way to the NJSIA. So uh, that's an important point. I think I wanted to make sure I, I got across today. And, and probably people should know that. And for board members, it's kind of like we have a delegate assembly where the boards vote on the policy. And it's kind of the same way with NJSIA, where the members vote on the policy. Very similar. Yep. Yes. Okay. Well, you know what? Our time is up. It went pretty fast. Uh, so I'd like to thank you, uh, Larry White, Executive Director, uh, for joining me. Thank you, Larry. Uh, thank you for having me, Ray. It was a pleasure. And Steve, uh, Steve Schofi, uh it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and thank you for joining us on this program. Thanks, Ray. I really enjoy it. Okay, thank you. And that brings us to the end of this program. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.